This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Boston Loose Baseball, Episode 71, coming your way. And this is an emergency BLB pod after the Jamer Candelario trade. Ahead of the deadline, we've got thoughts. Myself, Toby Altizer, plus we'll be joined by Kyle Glazer of Baseball America, who does the top 30 Cubs listing for BA, and the broadcaster of the AA Tennessee Smokies, who called all of the starts this year and for majority of last year of one of the two players coming to the Nationals in the deal. That's all coming up next on Bustin' Loose Baseball, and it starts right now. Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Welcome into Boston Loose Baseball, episode 71. If I'm a little more quiet than normal, it's because I'm literally sitting uh, in my dining room with a pillow against my face to try to take some of the volume that could be going upstairs away. We just had a baby, so the baby and my wife are up there, and her mother-in-law is here helping us, which is awesome. But she's sleeping near where I would normally be broadcasting, so I've got nowhere to go. I went outside. And there were too many crickets, and then I lost my cell phone reception and my uh, – not my cell phone, my uh, wireless reception, and uh, our podcast crashed. So uh, this is the best I could do, but very little volume. But that means uh, Toby will bring the energy here, and I will just quietly try to provide some information as we go. But the show must go on because it's not every day, Tobe, that a major trade that we've been talking about for months happens ahead of the deadline. And this is the Jamer Candelario emergency pod. And Candelario is on the move, as we all expected. To a Cubs team that about 10 days ago looked cooked, that has been red hot since, and now they've gotten themselves back in the mix. They've added a guy that was in their organization before, and for the Nationals, that means they get a couple of prospects. So this is a pretty big day. Yeah, it's really odd, too, Grant. Like, if you would have asked me, like you said, 10 days ago, a week ago, even five days ago, would the Cubs be in on him? I would have said no. I thought that there was a real possibility they were going to be sellers. Now they're buyers at the deadline. Not like they had to give up the craziest haul. And that's why I kind of thought the Yankees would be in on Candelario. But, you know, Rizzo was talking about multiple teams being in on Candelario. And rightfully so is he, you know, with how crazy the new trade deadline is for Major League Baseball. It's He was one of the top bats on the market. And you know, maybe you would have liked to seen them get a little bit more, but at the same point, you get two, you know, the number 14, number 16 prospect from the Cubs. Not like you were going to get a top prospect for Candelario on a rental, but, you know, good for Candelario. He goes to a team that's competing, that's playing really well right now, and he's going to get a chance to play every day, and hopefully he can help them do something. I'm going to keep cheering for him because he really helped out this team a lot this year, and it's going to be interesting to see who comes up and plays third base for the Nationals. It's going to be interesting to see who is that veteran leader now? Is Lane Thomas step up and take more of a role? How how do the other guys fill in for that 
spot that you've lost with Candelario? Because you mentioned from being down by the field and seeing him talking to guys before at bats and things like that's going to be missed for a lot of the guys in the clubhouse. But good for Candelario goes to a contender and wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, more on Candy and kind of the Cubs portion of this deal maybe in a minute. Uh, I do want to get into the two prospects in detail for our pod listeners, and we can go into each of these two guys. As you said, you know, when you're trading a guy like Candelario, who's a rental, right? It was a one-year $5 million deal for the Nationals, so it's a huge success. Uh, just a massive win when you throw almost no money at a one-year player. This is what they tried to do with Nelson Cruz for three times as much money and some other players over the last couple of years, and it hasn't worked out this well. You go evaluate and, and scout, and you figure out, okay, this guy could be a fit in our organization, and then you bring him in and you hope for the best, and it worked this time. Uh, now you flip basically your $5 million investment for two mid-level, we'll call them, prospects, but guys who initially MLB Pipeline has around 15th, 16th in the system. I think when they reshuffle the rankings, they'll be a little bit higher than that. But this was kind of the ultimate plan, and this was the, the best-case scenario for the Nats when they brought in Candelario. And to your point, hopefully he'll be back uh, if they're interested in bringing him back next season because he has that type of, you know, I, I think reverence in the clubhouse and within the organization after the kind of guy he's been. But more on him in a minute. Uh, the two players coming back, infielder Kevin Made and left-handed pitcher DJ Hers. Now, I'm going to start with Made, even though I'm actually more intrigued by Hers. Uh, he is the quote-unquote higher-rated prospect in a lot of publications. And the difference, really, because of him being an infielder and a bat and hers seen as maybe ultimately a reliever, even though he's a starting pitcher right now, Made, who's younger, seems to have maybe more upside, according to some. He's 20 years old. He's a middle infielder. The Cubs system's loaded at shortstop, so it's kind of a redundant spot where he was blocked. Uh, because they have so many shortstops, particularly in the uh, upper levels and the super low levels of the system, they basically placed him in where they needed a, a player the last couple of years. So he's actually been very young for his level. They've given him some pretty aggressive assignments. Uh, I view him as a really good defensive player. Uh, everyone I've talked to and I've reached out to some scouts who have seen him this year, uh, grade him out really well as a guy who can play a plethora of spots. He has actually this year played 58 games at short, seven at second, five at third. He's got a really strong arm. Uh, offensively, the, the profile is basically bat-to-ball skills, Tobe. But the power has not really come. Um, but, again, he's young for his level. He's kind of a thin guy. He's not particularly muscular. Uh, I think people thought the power was starting to show up. Last year, he hit like nine home runs or something at Myrtle Beach before uh, the, the end of the first half of the season, and he got elevated out of Myrtle Beach, but it's a super hitter-friendly ballpark. And since then, he hasn't really shown that power. Uh, slugging 355 this year. But the good news is he, he makes contact. He doesn't really strike out. He can handle velocity. He hits lots of line drives. Uh, and you're just kind of hoping the power comes. And if he ends up being a 15 to 20 home run guy, then there's a chance he could be an everyday player in the infield at the big league level. If he doesn't, maybe he's more of a utility player who can play third and short and second and multiple outfield spots. Um, that, that's kind of the upside for Made, who is a, a player that I think would report to A-plus Wilmington, if I had to guess. Uh, Jordy Barley's kind of been bouncing around. They had him up as high as AAA, and now he's back there, I believe, playing uh, some shortstop at, at the A-plus level. They got in the, the deal from the Padres, I think, for Hudson a couple of years ago with uh, um, uh, uh, the really Mason Thompson. Um, so long story short, Made, 20-year-old middle infielder. And I'll say one more thing, and then I want to get your thoughts on him. 
Uh, I was talking to someone in the organization this past week and they were just talking about the system and they said, man, it would be sure nice to add some infield depth. You know, we've got so many decent outfielders. You go through the list now with James Wood and Robert Hassel and Dalen Lyle and, um, you know, even Blake Rutherford's having an awesome run in AAA and, and they just drafted Dylan Cruz, and, you know, so many of the pieces in the outfield. And they said it were really kind of devoid in the infield of some of those exciting players. And it was a priority for them with Candelario to try to add an infielder in the deal. I think they went into the deal thinking they needed one. And so it didn't surprise me at all to see that if they were trading with the Cubs, you know, they were going to try to get one of their infielders back and Made was the guy. Yeah, I mean, I like a guy that has a little bit of upside, only 20 years old and good defensively as well. The grades on MLB Pipeline have him as a 65 arm, 60 field. So a guy that could come up and be a defensive shortstop third baseman and hopefully he can get the bat figured out a little bit more as he continues to develop. But again, I mean, we're, you're not going to get a proven guy, a guy that has the highest upside in a deal for Candelario. So getting a guy like this and hoping you can develop him, I think is a smart move. Now, <laughs> you know, there's questions about development for the nationals, so we'll see, but you know, I got faith that they can find a way to get this guy up to the big leagues. And, you know, if he can find some of that power, like you said, maybe he can be in the mix with some of these guys at second short and third. But I mean, the nice part is you're looking like you might have the ability to have him be a luxury at this point with house, hopefully being your third baseman of the future. Abrams really taking a step forward and Garcia. So, you know, the nice part is if, you know, if he only turns out to be a bench bat for you, that's still okay because it probably means that your other guys are doing well. So hopefully he can continue to develop and, We'll see exactly what happens with him. Yeah, it's a good point. And on Brady House, who you mentioned, I guess I should point out uh, the, the point that the person I talked to was making was more middle infield prospects. You know, shortstop, second baseman, they just don't have that. They have House and now Yoandi Morales as potential third base types. Uh, I would make the case they're short at first base with any kind of power and and future as well. But generally, you, you don't, you know, you're not a prospect at first base. You kind of end up there a, a lot of the time. Uh, all right, let's talk DJ Hers, who's the pitcher in this deal. He's a lefty. He was drafted by the Cubs in the eighth round in 2019. He's now 22 years old in double A. Uh, fourth round money when he was drafted. I point that out to say he's not an eighth round talent. Uh, this guy was actually probably like a, I don't know, maybe a second or third round talent overall. He was actually one of the best high school arms in the state of North Carolina back in 2019. And there were some signability concerns. So he fell in the draft before the Cubs snagged him and, and paid him good money. The story on him, Toby, is he strikes a lot of guys out. I mean, this is crazy missed bat rates. Got a funky crossfire type delivery. I'm sure a lot of people uh, who have read anything about him will see that. It's one of the first things anyone talks about because it is kind of a – it comes across his body and it, it makes you know his stuff more deceptive. Uh, he's got one of the better change-ups in the minor leagues. Breaking ball, not particularly good, I don't think, or, or doesn't grade out favorably. I haven't seen what pipeline or anybody has it graded at, but – has never really been an out pitch. Um, so it's a fastball that's in the 92 to 94 range, touches 96. And then it's this elite changeup. Uh, the, the struggle, the reason he's not a high-end prospect, despite being the Cubs organizational minor league pitcher of the year back in 2021, is he just walks too many guys. And this is why there's a really good chance that he's going to end up a reliever. Uh, he got moved up to double A last year and had more walks 33 than innings pitch 31, which is just like unacceptable. Um, you look at this year, he's got 59 innings and 37 walks, which is better, but still obviously way too many. Um, and because of that, again, it's, it's probably a reliever profile. 
But if you were to just tell me somehow, some way, he starts throwing more strikes and develops some control over the plate. There's a difference between control and command, right? Control is throwing the ball over the plate. Command is hitting the mitt and throwing to a quadrant, a location. He struggles pretty substantially with control, which has to come before command. Um, but if, if he were able to establish that, that this is a, you know, a number four type starter, probably just in terms of overall stuff, 59 innings, 80 strikeouts, 47 hits, a 216 average against this year. And just listen to the numbers the last two years, Toby. Two third, uh, he had 131 Ks in 81 innings two years ago. He had 141 strike uh, strikeouts in 95 innings last year. His career batting average against in the minors is 181. I mean, nobody hits him. He just he strikes everybody out. It's a matter of the walks. And, and you look at his ERA this year, it's like 397 or it's almost four. It's because despite an average against, it's barely over 200. There's always base runners on because of the walk. So he gives up his rare hit and it normally leads to a run. Yeah, sometimes it's funny with these guys, Grant, because the stuff maybe isn't fantastic. You know, the fastball's not 98. You know, like you said, it's sitting 92 to 94, maybe gets it up to 96. The changeup is good. Curveball's not, you know, anything spectacular. But sometimes the proof is in the pudding. The guy goes out on the field and the guys can't hit him or he strikes out a lot of guys. So, you know, maybe that's just something with the delivery and you add that in because, Sometimes these guys just have something that the the hitters just can't pick up. And maybe it's something that won't translate to the majors. Who knows? But, I mean, so far, like you said, in the minors, you laid out all those K numbers. The guys just don't hit them. And it doesn't matter if his fastball is not coming in at 98 or, like I said, his stuff isn't the most electric stuff you've ever seen. It's not going to beat Gore's stuff. But at the same point... He's striking out dudes like Mackenzie Gore was. So, you know, there's got to be something there. So hopefully you can work on some of that control and command like you were saying. And if he can do that, he can stick as a starter. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting a lefty reliever that strikes guys out. I mean, (laughs) people all around baseball are looking for that. So we'll see what he can develop into. But I think when you look at, you know, giving up Jamer Candelario and you bring back two guys that could potentially help out the big league ball club, you got to be pretty happy with that. Totally. And I think that's kind of where I want to go next is I've seen some people, uh, most of whom have never heard of these guys before today, probably for the record, telling you how disappointed they are about what the Nats did. And these are kind of fans or, or bloggers or, you know, just people in the Nats Twitter sphere. And I respect a lot of them and their opinions. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, the expectation sometimes gets so out of whack for what a team's going to get back in a deal. Like I was seeing some of the names that, that fans were throwing out as, as hopefully they could land this guy. And it's like Jammer Candelario was a guy this offseason nobody wanted to sign, and he's a rental. You're not going to go get a top five prospect in a system, almost certainly. And could they have gotten like maybe the, you know the 11th or 12th best prospect instead of two guys outside of or around the top 15? Sure. But I think you, what you would like to do is continue to stock the system with talent. And this is what the Nats have done since 2021. In fact, two years ago to the day, as we sit here on July 31st talking, two years ago to the day, they traded Scherzer and Turner for Josiah Gray and Cabret Ruiz uh, back in 2021. And if you think about it, um, you know, what they've done in the minor league system since then has been pretty outstanding. And that isn't even to speak to uh, C.J. Abrams, your shortstop, and Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray in your rotation, and Riley Adams, your catcher two, and Cabret Ruiz, your catcher one, and you know, some of the other young, really good players that have helped them at times off the bench. Um, but I I saw this idea that like, oh, they didn't get enough or it's a little bit light. And I understand that's 
you know, you have expectations. There's nothing I can do or the Nats can do or anyone can do about that, whatever your expectations were. Um, so I'm, I'm not telling people how to think. I guess my point is this is a pretty reasonable return. There are two guys that um, have not had particularly great years. Uh, hers because of the, the walks and Made because he's kind of taken a step back after a pretty violent leap forward, I thought, last year. And because of that, they're available and, you know, they're expendable. But these are the types of, of interesting prospects you add to your system. And a middle infielder, when you don't have basically any uh, who's 20 and, and an A-plus ball, I think he'll be in Wilmington. Hers, who's got these strikeout numbers, and, and I think it helps you. Like, there's a lot of ways this could go, right? Both of these guys could never get to the big leagues. Um, I think the most likely outcome is probably that hers is a wipeout reliever and Made is like a, a bench bat who plays a bunch of defensive positions and maybe, you know, for me, like a better version of what Darren Baker is in the Nats system now. Um, that's kind of how I view it ultimately. But there's also, like, if I'm telling you there's a chance neither of these guys make the big leagues, there's a chance that hers throws more strikes and, and pitches more innings and maybe in, in a starting role than we think. And, and Mate develops some power and ends up starting sometimes, at, you know, for, for the early part of his career at a, at a position. So uh, I've always said this, Toby. I, I don't know how you feel. The goal to me with a guy like Candelario, you, you, you hope that they perform. He did. He led the team at OPS, arguably their best player this year. As you said, going to be one of the better veterans, believe it or not, traded at this deadline as a bat. And you just hope you can get a couple guys back that eventually can help you out at the major league level and that help your system. And they've gone from being terrible in the minor leagues to being easily top 10. And, and, you know, I saw Kylie McDaniel of ESPN tonight saying they've snuck into his top five now after this deal. So uh, I continue to like the idea of just trying to recoup assets and, and add talent and flood the system with some competition. Yeah, 100%. It's not like you can sign Made and hers off of the free agent market. That's not something that's possible. So the only way to do it, bring in a guy like Candelario. Hopefully he produces in the first half, unlike what Nelson Cruz did and then deal them at the deadline and get those guys to add to your roster. But the point I want to make here, Grant, we talked about this with the first rounders. We've talked about it with Kyle Glazer of the importance of development and whether they pick the right guys or not. This is almost where a development becomes more important because, you know, finding a guy in the first round, if you really want, you can pick a guy out of college as opposed to high school, who's a little further along in development, hope that he can get to the, the next step. You know, think of, what Dylan Cruz is now for the nationals, as opposed to when they drafted Brady house or Elijah green, you know, those guys take longer to develop. They're going to take more work with the development staff to get to the point where they can reach that potential, you know, compared to what Dylan Cruz is. But when you talk about the development staff, if you traded one of these guys to say the Atlanta Braves or another step, you know, another team that has phenomenal development, Maybe we're looking at this a little bit differently, like, oh, this guy strikes out a lot of guys. He just struggles a little bit with command. Maybe they tweak a little in his delivery. Maybe they fix this. Or, you know, something where they can find something in the bat of Made to add a little bit of power. Or maybe they turn him into a little bit of a quicker runner. Whatever they can find, you know, little edges that they can find. That's, I think, more important for the development staff for the Nationals is you need to pick the right guys in the first round and hopefully develop them. But these are the kind of guys that if you can find a way to develop, you know, you got these guys in a lot of ways, you could consider it almost for free because you signed Jamer Candelario with the intention of trading him. You're adding these guys into your prospect mix, into your organization. Now develop them. Find a way. It's not always about developing first-rounders. The Braves didn't get to where they are by developing only first-round picks and top guys that they signed internationally. It's about bringing up other guys that they find little things that they can be good at. So hopefully the Nationals can develop these guys, and I think this is where 
the development is most important. These types of transaction, these types of players, if they can add on to the talent you have at the top of the farm system, that's how you become an elite team with an elite farm system. That's well said. Yeah, Toby Altizer, Grant Paulson, Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 71. Uh, you referenced Candelario. I've got some thoughts on Jamer and just what he meant to the org this year. But uh, give you the floor first. What do you make of the season he had as a Nat? Uh, OPS over 820 as he gets traded here. He and Lane Thomas were kind of battling for the team high in that stat, which tells you, you know, that they've been the two best offensive players on the team. Yeah, coming into the season, you know, it's it's Jamer Candelario. You've heard about him in Detroit. It's nothing that you get too excited for. But then you get to watch him every day. And, you know, I, I didn't watch him a ton in Detroit, so I didn't know tons and tons about him. I knew that, you know, like you said, coming in, he's going to have doubles and different things like that. But, you know, a decent average glove, maybe below average glove, maybe a little bit of power. And then what he was this season for the Nationals was – really a revelation of an incredible baseball player that looked like almost a guy that you could build around, you know, a guy that hits for power, a guy that obviously still has the doubles and plays a gold glove caliber third base. And so honestly, what he gave the nationals this year was a fighting chance. And to be honest with you, maybe you can credit some of the difference from last year's nationals team to this year's national team, nationals team to what, Jamer Candelario brought. They were competitive this year with Jamer Candelario. Hopefully they can continue that going forward the last couple months of the season. But, you know, you couldn't say that all the time about the 2022 Nets. They weren't always competitive. They didn't always look like a major league baseball team, especially at the third base de position defensively. They did this year. They were competent. They're fun to watch. They're competitive. They're scrappy. And honestly, if you were to put all of those adjectives about the Nationals this season into one player, you'd probably come up with Jamer Candelario. Yeah, he went an OPS over 900 in his last 30 games with the team, ended up hitting 260, 16 homers, uh, team high and one of the league high doubles hitters, not as in because he actually led the American League in doubles a couple years ago with the Tigers and the 823 OPS. I just think the dude is such a really legitimately – good leader and he was kind of the heart and soul in the clubhouse of the leadership council if you will and i think the cubs are getting a good egg hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Bang, zoom. Let's welcome our buddy Kyle Glazer of Baseball America onto Bustin' Loose Baseball now and get some thoughts on this deal. So, Kyle, why don't we begin with the two players the Nats are getting back? You did the Cubs top 30, so you're very familiar with Made and hers. Uh, what do you think of the tandem? Yeah, I mean, DJ Hers has a really, really deceptive delivery from left side. Uh, it's this big crossfire delivery. Batters just do not see it, and it helps him get a lot of swings and misses even in the zone, despite the fact his fastball is just 90-92. Uh, really good changeup, uh, good breaking ball as well as some late snap. The, the stuff is there to start. Um, the issue is that big crossfire delivery that gets him that deception also affects his control. Um, it's just really below average command and control always has been. 
realistically, he probably ends up in the bullpen as kind of an effectively wild left-handed reliever. Um, think Jake Diekman. That's a very common comparison for him. J.P. Howell has come up in the past. I mean, these are guys who pitch high leverage innings and are, are good parts of a team. Um, it, it just pretty strictly is going to be bullpen with his control. And then Kevin Made was a big-time international signee out of the Dominican Republic, got $1.5 million, really, really gifted defensive shortstop, uh, supernatural over there from his hands to his actions. He's got a rocket for an arm, can throw, make the throw from all over the field. Offensively, he just swings at everything. The, the swing mechanics itself are okay, and he tracks pitches okay. He doesn't strike out a ton, but he swings at pitches he can't drive or do anything with. You get a lot of weak contact on the ground. Um, there is some strength in there, but just his swing decisions are so bad, he, the power doesn't show up. It, it's kind of tough. Um, not a lot of people believe he'll, he will hit enough to be more than a low-end utility man just because – you know, it's been three years now and he's just this aggressive and it's not getting any better, but he's still young and we'll see if maybe that can change. But but realistically, it's the glove you're buying with Made and you just kind of hope he'll eventually figure out what pitches he can drive. And looking at this deal, we've seen Nationals fans all over Twitter a little bit frustrated, thinking that maybe they should have gotten more grants and I are pretty happy with, with the return. Do you think this is a fair trade to trade Candelario for these two prospects? Yeah, I mean, this is right in line with the market price. You know, Candelaro is obviously a, a very, very nice player um, who does a lot of good things, but he's a rental. You're not going to get a ton for a rental. Getting one top 30 prospect who, you know, is in double A and is missing bats and has a big league role, and then another lower level guy who you can dream on some upside, that's, that's a pretty good return for a, a rental who, you know, is not an elite player. I mean, Kendall is a good player. You certainly like what he can do at the plate. He's a really good defender. You guys mentioned his leadership, but no one would mistake him for a, a you know, perennial all-star. Um, this is pretty much all you could get for a rental. And I think the Nets did more than fine given that situation. Yeah, I mean, if, if hers ends up being a wipeout relief pitcher from the left side, and even if Made ends up being a multi-position bench bat, you know, for a guy that you spent a one-year, $5 million contract on that nobody else wanted this offseason, like, isn't that the whole point? I would say that's a pretty giant win if if it works out that way. Yeah, exactly. Again, Jamer Kendallar is a good player, but, I mean, if you get, you know, two guys who end up contributing to your big league team long-term, I mean, this is what rebuilding teams do. These are the types of trades they make. And, and yeah, when I saw this, uh, trade go down at no point did I look at this and say oh wow that's light that was it was just kind of like okay cool let me write it up like there was no reaction either way it was it was very much in line with what you could expect and I think you could argue given sometimes we see rental players go for astonishingly low you know costs you, you could even argue maybe they they got a little more than some other teams might have gotten for a one-year rental and then looking at Made, we'll get into hers more in just a second, but with Made, you know, if they're able to develop him and reach the full potential, what do you think his ceiling is? I know you talked about him maybe being a utility guy, a guy that comes off the bench, but if he were to be able to reach the fullest of his potential, what could he be? Look, the defense is good enough where you can see him being a, a starting shortstop. That would still be a, a bottom of the order, number nine hitting shortstop, but you know, a really good defensive shortstop who, you know, hits enough to survive in a lineup every day that that's not a bad player, especially if they're young and cost controlled. 
but again, you know, swing decisions and and just being able to pick out, hey, here's a pitch I can drive versus one I, I really shouldn't be swinging at. There are drills you can do to work on it and it can improve, but it also is one of those things that's generally pretty innate. Um, you know, he, he'll, he'll swing at fastballs at his neck. I mean, it's, it's just, it, he likes <laughs> to swing at fastballs and that's been a thing for three years and it just hasn't really gotten materially better at any point. So it's hard to sit here and say, you know, he's going to go to the Nationals organization and all of a sudden everything's going to magically become unlocked. Again, he's still young. He's 20 years old. He's in high A. This is not a finished product, but it's it's hard to project that happening given just how his development has progressed over the last three years. Is there any reason to believe he could end up hitting for more power, you know, 15, 18, 19 home runs or something? Because I was reading uh, one breakdown on him. And the idea was, hey, if, if the power shows up with at least the, the glove and that pop, then you can kind of work with the rest. But you've got to see it. And he had nine home runs at Myrtle Beach, very hitter-friendly before getting elevated. He's always kind of been young for the level. They're super aggressive with him. I think probably you would know this better than I do, Kyle, but my guess is just based on fitting him in where they can because they're so loaded at the position that they, they kind of have other priorities and he just has to get in where he fits in. But, uh, man, the Myrtle Beach stretch was really impressive. And this year he's obviously only slugging 355, so maybe it was more ballpark than anything else. Yeah, it's 40-grade power. You're hoping it gets to 10 home runs. Um, again, he, he he doesn't hit the ball overly hard. And, and, again, a big part of that is the pitch selection, the swing decisions. Um, I mean, if you give him a fastball over the middle, he'll turn it around. But that's true of, you know, anyone in the big leagues. It's not really a separating attribute there um it's it's really a 40 hitter 40 power which comes out to you know 220 with with eight to ten home runs is what you're hoping for you're really buying the glove here and then looking at hers how much of his success is on that delivery because you look at the grades on some of his pitches and they're you know average nothing spectacular change up is good and plus as a pitch but nothing spectacular how much of his success is because of that delivery and then you mentioned it maybe adds a little bit to the struggle with command can he work on it a little bit without taking away some of the the what makes him unique as a pitcher without taking that away and still improve enough to remain as a starter yeah, I mean, in terms of the pitch quality, again, you know, every pitcher, their delivery, their deception plays into how their stuff plays, you know, especially fastballs. I mean, that's that's just kind of who he is. It's 90-92, top 94, but it's always played much, much, much better just because, again, guys don't see it. I mean, we can talk about it all day. There are guys out there who throw 98 to 100 and get crushed because guys pick it up out of the hand early and it's straight and they just leave it over the heart of the plate. There's other guys who throw 90-92 and just get swings and misses because guys can't pick it up or the angle plays or, you know, there's high spin to it. So, I mean, a fastball is more than just its velocity. And, and with him, you know, this is kind of what works for him. And, and the fastball plays and the changeup is a plus pitch as well. And, again, a lot of that's because he sells it with his arm speed and, and plays it well off his fastball. And, and the breaking ball is a good pitch too. Um, I mean, it's got some late snap. It's got some downward action. It's got a little bit of sweep. It, you know, can kind of go between a curveball and a slider sometimes. But, I mean, he's got three good pitches. It, there's plenty of stuff there. It's not a stuff issue at all. Um, you know, it just comes down to, you know, again, 
the deception in that delivery because he's just so crossfire is what helps his stuff play as well as it does his fastball in particular. And if you take that away, the fastball probably doesn't play as well. And, you know, yeah, you might have to throw more strikes, but he probably gets hit a little bit harder. Um, he's a good athlete. You know, he, we've seen him make some adjustments and I'm not going to sit here and say a, a young lefty who's a good athlete is incapable of making adjustments to tweak something and get better. But this is not a guy that you should expect, oh, if we change this one thing, all of a sudden he's going to be an above average strike thrower. I mean, it's 30 grade control you're hoping gets to 40. And um, realistically, you know, he probably, I, I mean, it's, he, he's almost a slam dunk to end up in the bullpen. And again, if you try and get rid of that crossfire delivery, well, then you lose the deception that makes the fastball, the fastball play well. And I don't think that's what anyone wants to see happen. Kyle Glazer, Baseball America, on the two new Nationals prospects. You know, I've never really, over the last several years, been impressed by the Cubs' development of pitching. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's going to be much different or better necessarily, I guess, if you're looking at how the Nats have developed pitching. But I, I just wanted to get an observation from you on that in terms of, um, you know, let, let's say he was going to the Twins or one of these really advanced pitching orgs. Like maybe there'd be a feeling of him changing scenery. Maybe there's some extra development now that happens. Um, but you've been covering the Cubs so closely. What's your thought on player dev in general and then the pitching over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this, you know, since the Cubs brought in Craig Breslow, um, their pitching development has improved. You look at a guy like Justin Steele, he took some big, big, big jumps under. Yeah, he's been Cubs. awesome. Uh, new, uh, new, new pitching coach, pitching apparatus, you know, led by Breslow. Um, we've seen some guys take some steps forward. Um, you know, Cade Horton, their first round pick last year, looks like a steal right now. He's been dynamite on the minor leagues. Again, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the Cubs overnight have gone from, you know, probably the worst organization in baseball developing pitching to one of the best, but, but it is getting better. And we have seen, a lot of guys take steps forward and improve, and, and that includes Hertz. Um, you know, he has kind of, you know, cleaned up his delivery a little bit over, you know, over the years. Um, he, he's been better this year than he was last year. So, again, I mean, all these guys, there have been steps forward. Um, so I, I don't think this is the same old, oh, because pitching development's terrible. If you give him, you know, a different coaching group, he's going to take off. I mean, They've done okay. They've done better. And I, I I guess what I'm getting is I wouldn't expect DJ Hurst to go to the Nationals and all of a sudden you unlock this completely new level where he's throwing three to four miles an hour harder and he's throwing strength above average control. Like I think we, we know who DJ Hurst is and you just kind of have to be like, hey, we, we have a chance to get a really good power, you know, left-handed reliever out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, maybe that 90 to 94 ticks up. Uh, to 92, 96 out of the pen, one inning stints, and you get a really, you know, you get a, a good left-handed reliever. That That's really what you're buying here. I wouldn't try to make any stretches to try and say, oh, all of a sudden he's going to become a, a mid-rotation starter. That That's not really in the cards here. And then looking at the Nationals as a whole, any chance you see anyone else maybe getting traded before the deadline? Maybe if you're listening to the podcast, the deadline's already passed, but is there anyone else you see maybe getting traded before the deadline? And if so, are they going to net more than Candelario looking at maybe a guy like a Finnegan? Maybe if they decided to move Lane Thomas, would they net more or 
What are you looking at with the Nationals the rest of the way here before the deadline? Yeah, I mean, Thomas would be the guy that, you know, would would definitely net them more when you take into account, you know, what he's been doing offensively and defensively, that that control involved. Uh, he's not a free agent until after the 2025 season. So, yeah, I mean, if they decided to move Lane Thomas, that would be the guy that that probably brings back the most. Um, but I think there's also a very, very fair argument that this is a guy you want to keep. I mean, he's pretty much been your best offensive performer outside of Candelario. You know, he's young. He helps you on both sides of the ball. Um, again, you could trade him, but if I'm a rebuilding team, he's honestly a guy I probably want to keep around and, and build with. Um, and, you know, Finnegan's not going to get anything near what Candelario brought back. Um, I mean, th this is not a team with a lot of great trade pieces, to be frank. Uh, you know, Candelario, this is this is probably the best, you know, prospect haul they're going to get for any of their guys, barring a decision to move Thomas. That's interesting on Finnegan. I guess it makes sense because of the volatility of relief pitching, but controllable and a guy maybe that could be used even, in, you know, non-closing, but in, in high leverage uh, a couple of years left. But it makes sense. You're, you're talking about a bat who's going to play every day down the stretch for a contender as opposed to, a uh, relief pitcher, uh, Kyle Glazer, Baseball America. Before we let you go, I wanted to take a quick look at the Nats system. Uh, I don't know how quickly you guys will update your top 30 now or, or what you're anticipating for where these guys slot in. But, you know, last time we had you on the pod, we were talking about the Nats system. And you and I were joking out in Seattle. He came up to me and said, hey, I heard I kicked over a hornet's nest in D.C. <laughs> um, but you were just referencing fairly how bad the system was a couple of years ago. And I was actually tweeting about this tonight, but it was two years ago today that they started their rebuild, essentially, uh, when they traded Scherzer and Turner, and they ended up with a huge sell-off of kind of a half dozen trades and brought in, I think, 13 minor leaguers at that point. But now you look at the system, post-Soto dealing with everything they've done in the draft since, and you've got Wood and, and uh, Brady House and, and Cade Cavalli and Elijah Green and Robert Hassel and Yarlan Susana. Uh, Christian Vaccaro, De La Rosa, Bennett, White, Rutledge, Cole Henry. I mean, it, it is – I'm not sitting here acting like they got a lot of blue chippers, uh, but there are guys I really like that I think are dramatically underrated nationally, like Dalen Lyle, who I've watched a lot of in Fredericksburg, who just got moved up to Wilmington. Uh, there's some depth now in this system that hasn't been there with you know, players like Trey Lipscomb they drafted in the third round out of Tennessee. And, um, you know, they just – moves like this, Made and hers. I mean, they just keep adding to it. Do juxtapose where they are now compared to like two plus years ago. It, it really is night and day, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, two plus years ago, it was the absolute worst farm system in baseball with a gap between them and everyone else. But again, it was that way because they graduated a lot of really, really good players traded some other really good prospects to bring in veterans and they won a world series because of it in 2019. And then it just came time to pay the price a little bit afterward. But I think every single nationals fan in the world will tell you if I told you you were going to win a world series in 2019, but the next five years were going to be pretty rough. They would have taken that every day of the week and they should. So it was just kind of the natural flow of things. And, you know, it's been a it's been a rebuilding process. I will say when you trade away Juan Soto and Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and, and pick at the top of the draft, you you should have a much better farm system. If if you don't, you know, something went really wrong. But there's no question. I mean, you, you see the talent here. Obviously, adding yeah. Dylan Cruz uh, with the second pick this year is a huge, huge, huge addition. I mean, 
you can now look at the Nats system and, and certainly there's 10 good prospects here and, and you could arguably go down into, you know, all the way to 20 and, you know, feel pretty good about some of the guys on this list when, you know, in reality, two years ago, I mean, I've, once you got to like number seven, it was not great. So there's no question that there's more depth, there's more top end talent. It's, it's night and day difference all the way around. Who's your, uh, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but is there a player in this system that you think either, and maybe you didn't feel this way a year ago, but right now you go, all right, we haven't really adjusted yet, but maybe people are too high on him. And same thing, maybe a guy that you go, this is actually an interesting player that maybe from a ranking standpoint, people are too low on. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I will say, I, I guess to start um, on, on the side that, maybe isn't the most positive, you know, Robert Hassel, his stock has kind of been falling a little bit. Um, you know, people have just kind of been waiting for, for the power and the impact to come and it just hasn't really. And we've seen him really start to struggle against upper level pitching. And some of that is just a lack of strength. Um, he's still 21. There's still, you know, some natural hitting ability and, and a nice left handed swing in there and some athleticism. So you don't want to bail on him, but um, you know, he has dropped out of the top 100 uh, based on consistent feedback from evaluators around the game. And he, he's just got to get stronger, independent of power. It's just strong enough to to hit the level of pitching he's seeing at double A. It's just not there right now. Wouldn't give up on him, but but it's fair and accurate to say um, his potential has dropped in the eyes of, of evaluators around the game. You know, in terms of guys who... Um, like you said, the industry maybe is a little light on. I, I will say Dalen Lyle does some good things. Um, you know, he's, 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 he, again, is he going to be a superstar? No one sees that, but, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we look up a few years from now and, and he's getting semi-regular playing time in the major leagues ahead of a lot of other guys who, uh, who, who ranked higher. And then looking at the top of the prospects for the nationals, we talk a lot about James Wood and his potential, we talk, you know, bits and pieces about Brady House, and we bring him up quite a bit about how good he's doing. But what is his potential? Because I think that he can be a phenomenal player for the Nationals going forward as well. What's the ceiling for Brady House? A middle of the order power hitting third baseman who does real, real, real damage. Um, yeah, he's he's got a really, really, really dangerous bat, and I think he's someone that you're right. You know, kind of. Fell off radars a little bit last year um, with the back injury and COVID. And, and really this year, I mean, he's come out and, and looked great everywhere he's been. I was all in the Futures game, and he looked great there. Um, yeah, it, it would not surprise me if we look up a few years from now on James Woods hitting the three-hole and Brady House as their cleanup hitter, and the two of them are uh, forming a little bit of a modern-day Bash Brothers. Would love that. 310 average, 880 OPS for Brady House this season as he's now in double a with james wood well kyle we appreciate the time as we uh break this down on the night that jammer candelario is on the move thanks for joining us on short notice yeah my pleasure happy to join you anytime Long gone. the thoughts of kyle glazer of baseball america wanted to get our buddies take who did the top 30 in the cubs organization and knows a lot about these prospects but as someone who's covered the minor leagues for a long time what i have found in, in my many years of trying to learn about prospects. The actual best way to do that is to talk about the players with the broadcasters that see them every day and the folks that are the boots on the ground you know, around these players. And Mick Gillespie, 
uh, calls games in the Cubs organization at the double-A level with Tennessee Smokies. And I wanted to get his thoughts on one of the two players in this deal, and frankly, the guy that I'm more intrigued by because of the big strikeout totals, and that's the lefty DJ Hers, and Mick joins us on Busted Loose Baseball right now. So, Mick, thank you for a few minutes. Appreciate you. Uh, let's just start with uh, your thoughts on the Cubs trading Hers in this Jamer Candelario deal. Yeah, look, uh, you know, Jamer played for the Smokies as well, so I'm very familiar with him. And I kept hearing his name come up, um, and I was thinking like that, and maybe he comes back, you know, and that's exactly what happened. So I'm excited about seeing him back in a Cubs uniform. I know him, and I like him a lot. And, and you know, it's been a long ride for him, the Tigers, and with the Nats. But um, it'll be exciting for him to get back, and I, I know that he's going to be really, you know, stoked about being back in a Cubs uniform. All right, so tell us about this lefty, DJ Hers. You've seen him start 14 games. What do you know? Look, this guy can pitch. I mean, I think this is a really good trade for the Nats because, um, you know, the guy's 22 years old. Um, he's got really good stuff. Um, fastball, change-ups his best pitch. And um, the biggest issue for him has just been consistent with throwing the strikes. But uh, I think that the guy's got potential – to be a very good pitcher. And, um, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised that the, honestly that the Cubs traded him, but you know what, he's, he's, um, you know, the, the, the kind of prospect that if I was the nationals that I would want. His numbers are pretty nasty in terms of missing bats, 59 innings, 80 strikeouts, 47 hits, 216 average against. You mentioned the lack of strikes, which is why, it, it would stand to reason. I think people think he'll be maybe more of a, a wipeout reliever than a starter. But have you seen any growth in that way? It does seem like the walk totals are at least better this year than they had been in Double A in the second half of last year. Look, I, I don't. I'm not giving up on him as a starter yet. Like I think he he could be a, a starter. I, I really do. And um, I I haven't been really blown away by the Cubs' ability to develop starting pitching. So, you know, maybe he, now that he's with the Nats, um, you know, they may be better at being able to, um, you know, to, to do that because the Cubs are, 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 are very conservative when it comes to the amount of pitches that the guy's allowed to throw. And, you know, you just don't see a lot of, of their starting pitchers in double A throwing more than 75 pitches or five innings. And, you know, the problem is, is that that's, you know, I mean, you get to the big leagues and, you're going to have to work through the lineup three times and you're going to have to throw pitches, you know? So maybe not every organization's like that. Um, hers is a really strong guy. He's a very athletic guy. Um, you know, was a great football player in high school, not, not just a great baseball player. And um, he could be, I, I want, I don't even want to say a diamond in the rough because I think he's a really good player. Like I, we were waiting on him basically just to cut down the walk totals. If the guy can get the walk totals under control, throw more first pitch strikes, I think that he's going to be um, a really good pitcher. Like, is, is he a number one or a two in the rotation? No, but he could be a number, a really solid number four, number five. And, um, you know, if I was the Nationals, I'd be pretty excited about this trade. I've seen him pitch once, but I've mostly just seen video of him to, to be completely candid. And I look at the delivery, Mick and Mick Gillespie, who's the voice of 
uh, the ball club where the newest national DJ Hurts is coming from the Tennessee Smokies. What a unique, funky delivery that is. I mean, it's got to be super deceptive. Well, look, there was a guy that Baltimore had from the right side that the Cubs got, Jake Arrieta, that kind of had, you know, like a cross-body delivery. And and hers is very similar, and but from the left side, you know, like where it's, you know, a delivery that uh, – you know, where he's kind of coming across his body. He, he disguises the ball well. And um, that's always been one of the things about him that I really like. He, the Cubs have another prospect named Jordan Wicks, another left-hander. And those two are really similar as far as being able to, uh, you know, kind of hide the ball and, and with pitches. The problem is, for Wicks, it's just been being consistent with the throwing the strikes. But when he is consistent, he's good. And the and the, and the good the other good thing for the Nationals is that even though he hasn't been really consistent throwing strikes, he hasn't been hit hard. Like because you know it's it's hard for guys to to kind of pick up what he's doing. And I think that that bodes well for him in the future. You know when he really starts figuring out exactly where he wants to put the ball and can do it first and second pitches. You know strike one and strike two. I think that all of it is going to come together. So I, I, I really feel confident that this guy is going to eventually be uh, a big league starter. I love hearing that. Uh, Jordan Wicks, by the way, was a first-round pick out of Kansas State. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. I was at the draft in Colorado. We had him on the show for MLB Radio. And what an awesome guy he is, by the way, which, which kind of brings me to my next question. Um, what can you tell us about the person and just the, the character or the competitor that DJ Hers is? Look, he's a good dude. Um, you know, he's a, he's a teammate that everybody likes. He's a hard worker. Um, and um, he's a great competitor. Like, he is a le- like legitimately, if you're making a trade like this, he's the kind of guy that you want. You know, he's got a very high ceiling. So, um, you know, when I saw this deal, and I heard that the Cubs were kind of, you know, going to, they wanted to make a deal like this and that they were going to give away guys that they thought were kind of mid-level prospects. Um, he is to me, one of the best mid-level prospects they have. Mick Gillespie on one of the newest Washington nationals. Uh, he has not yet had a chance to see the other of the players in this deal. Kevin Made, who is in a plus ball would have soon been joining the ball club where Mick calls games. Last thing on hers I wanted to ask about, you referenced in passing how good the changeup is, and the numbers on that pitch are pretty astounding. Uh, has he thrown that all along? Have, have you talked to him about that pitch at all? Because, man, is it a wipeout offering. Yeah, that's been his, like, bread and butter since he got into baseball, you know. And and to me, like, when I think of, of you know, pitchers that are successful, I think it starts with your changeup. You know, because then it keeps guys off your fastball. And so, you know, one thing I've noticed with the, the Cubs and and their um, scouting is that th- those guys kind of target pitchers who have a really good changeup. So uh, it's impressive. He's been getting really better and better each start this year. And it seems like he sets a lot of stuff off stuff off of his changeup, but his fastball is really good too. So, you know, I just think that like, if, if you're making a deal like this, you want a pitcher like him because 
you know, like the, the upside so high, like, you know, it, it basically it's just a matter of him being more consistent with, you know, a couple of pitches early in the count. And, and if he's able to do that and cut the walks down, I mean, this guy's like in your big league starting rotation next year. 22 years old in double A. That's definitely the hope. And he is, I believe, rule five eligible. So the Nats will almost certainly have to put him on their 40 man roster um, initially here and going into next season. Mick, great info. Really good insight. I always love talking to the minor league broadcasters who see these guys. Thanks so much. Hey, anytime, guys. Good to hear from both Kyle and a broadcaster who's been calling hers his games. And you can see someone who's been around him every single day, you know, and, and obviously probably has the relationship within the team. And here's all the positive things they say, you know, sounded e- even higher on hers maybe uh, than Glazer, who's watching from afar and talking to people in the industry. So we'll see how things go for the lefty pitching prospect. Uh, before we get to our final thoughts, I know you were at the ballpark tonight. In fact, as we taped this on Monday, uh, you saw the Nats get a big win, got a home run early from Joey Manessis, who delivered a big run scoring hit later. Lane Thomas, a couple of RBI in the game. And C.J. Abrams, 22 for his last 22 in stolen bases now. That's 25 on the year as he creeps up on the Nationals franchise record for consecutive steals without getting thrown out. Fun night at the ballpark. Yeah, C.J. just continues to be amazing, and he's so fun to watch. And, you know, we talk about the prospects all the time. The reason you turn on the TV right now to watch the big league club with the curly W's is guys like CJ Abrams and him stealing bags. It maybe didn't show it as well on the broadcast, but that little blue single into left field from Lane Thomas wasn't a given that it was going to drop in, but CJ read it right off the bat and just took off and he was gone. There was no chance that Yelich was going to be able to get him at the plate. It's just, he's an exciting player and he's playing like that. Like, you know, we, we talked about this all the time early in the season, Grant, can he just steal some bags, please? Like he just looked like a game record type player, you know, like Trey Turner was for years before he turned into a guy that hit the ball out of the ballpark. It was just get him on base, make the pitcher think about him. And he just creates havoc on the base pass. Now CJ's doing it. And it's just so fun to watch because you have confidence in him every single time he comes to the plate. Then when he gets on, you know, he's taken off. The other team knows he's taken off and 22 times in a row, the other team hasn't been able to do anything about it. So it's awesome watching him play baseball right now. And defensively, he's been phenomenal as well. I know you were at Davies Presser. Davies said after the game, when asked, you know, who's going to replace Jamer Candelario as the leader in the clubhouse, he's like, I really like the way CJ's matured this year and started to take on some of those roles. He said, I think he could maybe be that guy down the road. So that was really good to hear. Uh, my final thought is I know that people wanted a, a some, you know, top five, top eight prospect in the Nat system. Now, coming back here, and that would have been great, but it, it, I just didn't think that that was realistic. My hope was, I think maybe if they would have gone for one player, they would have done a little better than the two that they brought back. But I think, you know, quantity over quality, as we've talked about a lot on this pod and these trades, makes a lot of sense. Um, and ultimately, I, I think does boost your system quicker. So uh, I get what they did. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, this was. I look at this more from a 10,000 foot view in a helicopter. And that means you signed Candelario for one year and five mil. He's exceeded everybody's expectations. I don't think any nationals fan anticipated him having the year he's had. And now you flipped him for two pieces that you hope can develop into something meaningful for you. 
it's a win and uh, it's a good night for the Nats. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like I said, you can't take prospects from other teams. You can't just sign them in free agency like you can in, you know, football and stuff like that when people come available. Those guys, the only way you can get them is through trade, really, or maybe in the Rule 5 draft. But other than trades, that's the way you're going to get them. And so you basically got two prospects for, you know, half a season of Candelario, and you got to enjoy Candelario for the first half of the season. So I think it's a good play for the Nationals. And, you know, with the prospects you're getting back, you're not getting any surefire prospects back if there is such a thing. So you might as well take two dart throws. Maybe you're not getting the number 10 overall prospect from the Cubs, but you're getting their 14th and 16th. Two dart throws, hopefully one hits. Shout out to Toby, who is at the ballpark. And now as we approach... Midnight on Monday night is still at our uh, Half Street Studios. Hasn't gone home yet uh, for making the emergency pod possible. I'm, of course, whispering here from my dining room with a sleeping wife and new baby upstairs. And producer Darius is now going to throw this thing together so that you guys have it when you wake up and uh, look for your Nats breakdowns on the deal on Tuesday. So we'll be back if something goes down at the deadline with a uh, another emergency pod if need be. Uh, maybe even just throw something out there quick tomorrow night uh, if anything happens one way or the other uh, so that you've got an update. But until then, enjoy Nats baseball, and thanks for checking us out. Spread the word on Bustin' Loose Baseball. We appreciate everybody listening.